With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and everyone, we just had one hell of a week one. First Sunday, first 14 of 16 games, however you want to look at it. I'm pumped. It was a great day of football. I hope everyone had plenty of fancy success out there, betting success, your favorite team won, whatever it might be. You know, we have a lot to catch up on, though, because for the last seven months, we have been, you know, looking at 2019 stats, coaching tendencies, whatever we can get our hands on during the offseason. And reasonably so. There wasn't much else to do. But uh, now we finally have real-life football to break down, take snap counts, all that fun stuff. So the purpose of today's pod, I want to go through the 13 games from Sunday, I have managed to watch about, uh, what are we at? I'm halfway through game 11, so I have two more after this. But, you know, usually try to watch two live in addition to Red Zone, then I'm flying through them on a condensed as soon as they're uploaded on Game Pass afterwards. So trying to watch every play for all you uh, people out there, you know, try to find anything possible beyond the box score to help us, you know, figure out the real story and move on with some fancy takeaways. So going to roll through these games. And again, going to have a focus on just the fancy relevance and what we can expect moving forward. So kicking things off, Ravens 38, Browns 6. Just a beatdown from the start. I mean, Lamar Jackson's passing regression, I guess, is just going to come another day. And, <laughs> and we've talked about this on this podcast, how you shouldn't assume uh, regression efficiency without also looking for the volume. But in today's case, it just didn't even matter. I mean, 20 for 25, 275 yards, three scores through the air, along with 45 yards on the ground. The best thing to see from Lamar, though, because, I mean, let's face it, we've seen him do that a million times uh, last season. He's just so efficient as a rusher and passer. But what was really good to see was just Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews so cemented as the top targets. I mean, Hollywood went over 100 yards. Mark Andrews had five catches, 58 yards, two touchdowns, one of which was an awesome one-handed snag in the back of the end zone. So it's one of these situations where, you know, going into today, especially on DFS, you know, I just made the point that, okay, they're expensive. Lamar Jackson was 8,100 this week on DraftKings. He's probably going to be more so even in future weeks. But, you know, when we do have Hollywood and Andrews a little more affordable and made the overall stack not as expensive as it might have been, uh, you know, with a true quote-unquote wide receiver one that's more up there in the pricing range. So good stuff from the Ravens passing game. You know, I, I don't think Lamar Jackson's going to have another 9% uh, passing touchdown rate this year, but no reason why he can't enable Andrews and Brown to plenty of success moving forward. The backfield was what was pretty interesting because J.K. Dobbins got in there with a 40% snap rate, leading Mark Ingram, who's at 34%. And we had Gus Edwards at 26%. Dobbins had two touchdowns, two uh, goal line works. And, uh, you know, I don't think he was the goal line back. I think we kind of overrate the situations where a guy truly is the goal line back. What happened was Dobbins got those carries and his shifts when the offense was getting down into that area of the field. So it wasn't like Ingram was down there and they made, you know, the conscious decision to get him out of there and get Dobbins those carries. 
the situation of who is on the field. So the good news is it looks like a 1A, 1B situation with Dobbins and Ingram. Edwards is going to be a little bit annoyingly involved, but we're going to live with that because it's one of the best offenses in the league. Dobbins is going to be fantasy relevant sooner rather than later. Him and Ingram, I think we can kind of treat them as right around that RB2 borderline, you know, mid-high 20s. Uh, in the RB range. So we'll see, uh, you know, what goes on moving forward. But it's a good matchup every week for this Ravens offense. Uh, for the Browns, way less uh, reason for optimism really around the board. Baker Mayfield just looks skittish out there at times. I mean, the types of rhythm throws we saw him in 2018, uh, really thriving on just having been there over the last season. And now a game, he just struggled to get much going. Uh, OBJ was his most targeted receiver with 10, but he only had three catches just a mixture of drops, uh, not being able to quite get the separation needed in Baker, not putting it where he needed to. So ultimately only 189 yards on 39 pass attempts. Austin Hooper only had two two targets. We had Dave Njoku, Harrison Bryant uh, really eating into that. And Jarvis Landry was kind of doing his thing uh, on a little bit limited usage, because but we knew that coming in. So for the pass game, we got to go back to well with OBJ. This was a tough matchup. We knew that going in, but you know keep firing him up as that wide receiver two that we hope can get back to being a wide receiver one one Austin Hooper is the one that I really haven't been buying and I think after what we saw today it's just more evidence towards that because Stefanski coming back from what we knew in Minnesota with Irv Smith with Kyle Rudolph splitting them up he appears to be doing the same thing in Cleveland so don't be afraid to you know not not cut Austin Hooper necessarily but next week I mean if it's between him and someone else go with the guy that has a, a t tighter grip on his team's pass game role uh, with the running back. So Nick Chubb, 51% snaps, 10 carries, one target. Kareem Hunt, 46% snaps, 13 carries, six targets. So um, Chubb got taken off the field a lot after a fumble and the game got away from that. It became Kareem Hunt game script. That's fine. I think Chubb's still going to be the lead back more weeks than not. But the problem here, people, is it's going to be like a 60-40 or a 50-50 or something like that. It's not what we saw last year, which was Kareem Hunt getting a ton of run in the slot or out wide. And this was a concern with Stefanski, who wasn't able to use Madison and uh, Dalvin Cook at the same time all that often. Appears to be the same case here because Kareem Hunt only spent four snaps in the slot or out wide. It does seem like a situation where they're not going to run a lot of two RB formations out there at the same time for whatever reason. I mean, they did have a lot of success with that towards the end of last year. You know, they're always open to be able to adjust down the road. But for now, I think the ceiling and floor alike for these Browns running backs should be lower because we're not getting that, you know, know, uh, snap split we were hoping for, which was Chubb 80% as the running back and, you know, Hunt kind of taking in that 20, 25% as a running back and they're 25, 30% as a receiver. So uh, Bears 27, Lions 23. Wow. Good on Mr. Trubisky coming back three touchdowns in the fourth quarter after trailing 23 to six. Now game could have easily gone the Lions. DeAndre Swift had a potential game winning touchdown, hit him in the chest and fall to the turf. So wasn't exactly a situation where the Bears just outright beat the Lions, but hey, you know, when is a win is a win. So, uh, big fancy takeaways. David Montgomery wasn't at 100%, didn't get 100% roll, played 47% snaps, Tariq Cohen at 42%, Cordero Patterson at 18%. I mean, look, I think moving into next week, assuming Montgomery didn't re-aggravate this, hopefully he's, you know, we get some full practices or he's just not on the injury report period. But I think moving forward, we can be more confident that he's going to get back to that 15, 20 carries per game sooner rather than later. He's only at 13 today, but, you know, moving forward, he should be healthy, should be back in that role, and he'll have better, uh, you know, potential game script and trailing uh, like he was today. So, uh, arrows pointing out for Montgomery, you know, seemed like a really bad injury when it first happened, but I think uh, he'll be okay moving forward. Uh, with the wide receivers, this is what was kind of confusing. So, like, we know Allen Robinson is the number one. He had a good day, five catches, 74 yards, and nine targets. 
Anthony Miller was the guy I really thought could take a jump up and uh, make it into that territory and be the number two guy there with Taylor Gabriel gone. And unfortunately, he was in this weird committee situation. He only played 35% of the offensive snaps. Ted Ginn was at 49%. Darnell Mooney, 29%. Javon Williams, 31%. So uh, it, it was just this weird committee behind A-Rob with Ted Ginn being the main guy in two wide receiver sets. So, you know, maybe Miller continues to make the most of his opportunities. He had a great game, four catches, 76 yards, and a touchdown, six targets, and including the go-ahead score. But, you know, with these types of snap rates, that's not going to stick up uh, week by week. So kind of concerning for Miller moving forward. Lions backfield, complete mess. Adrian Peterson, 37% snaps. DeAndre Swift, 32%. Carryon Johnson, 31 I mean, credit to AP. He had 13 carries from 93 yards. He was still good in Washington. Last year, too, it's just not making it easy for fantasy investors trying to uh, get get some value here elsewhere. So going to be a situation to mostly stay away from with that sort of usage. Um, something named Quintez Cephas had 10 targets today. That was pretty interesting. He ended up being the uh, main uh, producer without... Kenny Galladay in the full because the hamstring injury. Marvin Jones uh, still the guy. Assuming Kenny's injury isn't that serious, I don't think uh, Cephas is going to be worth someone worth you know looking up on waivers. But hey, you know kudos to him for uh, getting that opportunity. Most disappointing thing I saw was that T.J. Hawkinson was actually out snapped by Jesse James. Just very unfortunate. He caught all five of his targets for, I think it was 46 yards and a score because he's a great player. But, you know, only getting 56% snaps in a game where they didn't have their number one receiving option. Very disappointing for Hawkinson. He's a great player. I still just doubt whether he's going to truly break out in fantasy this year if he's going to be treated as kind of the number four uh, pass game option whenever everyone's healthy. Moving on, we got Washington upset the Eagles 27-217. Carson Wentz was sacked eight times. And we talked on this podcast about the potential for the Washington D-line to be pretty great sooner rather than later. And, okay, it's it's here. It's now. They are awesome. And, you know, banged up O-line for the Eagles. But at the same time, we got to give Washington plenty of credit uh, for their performance there. Uh, the Boston Scott thing did not work out people and it's just it, it worked the usage was what we expected i mean boston scott played 60 percent of the offensive snaps Corey clement was down at 32 percent and you know scott had nine carries two targets it just he didn't have the same involvement in the past game that we saw at the end of last season which was somewhat surprising i mean dallas goddard nine targets deshaun jackson seven greg ward seven zach hurt seven and jaron rager had four so all those guys are working ahead of scott uh maybe you know, I, I guess I underestimated how little he would be um, involved in the passing game. At the same time, you know, they did already have the injuries at receiver. So it's a miss. Scott did get banged up throughout the game. But, you know, I wouldn't be too concerned about continuing to treat him as, you know, an RB2, RB3 if Sanders is going to continue to miss time. Corey Clement, though, with this sort of role is not going to have any sort of fantasy relevance. So we'll see with the Eagles. It was a tough week. Uh, Wentz, you know, was skipping some balls in there and D-Jax wasn't able to run down some of the goodness but Jalen Rager if we can get him in a full uh you know full allotment of snaps moving forward look out he had a beautiful 55 yard snag way downfield on a great ball from Wentz uh, I think big things could be could be coming from Rager on the horizon do not let him go if uh, he's there on the bench uh Dwayne Haskins wasn't amazing 17 of 31 for 178 yards and a score but was able to enable Terry McLaurin to a decent day five catches for 61 yards on seven tar targets and Logan Thomas Deep sleeper tight end, Logan Thomas, team high, eight targets, 
four catches, 37 yards, and a score. The touchdown was, like, uncovered. It wasn't the most impressive uh, performance I've seen from Thomas. But, hey, you know, eight targets for a tight end position, we'll take it. I wouldn't uh, be trotting him out there to start in week two. But, you know, I'd say if we get another week or two into this where it does look like he has a consistent uh, pass game role of at least five, six targets, I mean, that's going to be something fantasy investors are going to want to take interest in. The backfield, sheesh. I mean, J.D. McKissick led the way with 46% snaps. Only had three carries, though. Five targets. And then we had Peyton Barber getting 34% snaps. 17 carries, zero targets. Wasn't efficient with it at all. I mean, he found the end zone twice. Good for him. But, you know, fewer than 30 yards rushing uh, on 17 carries. Just hard to call that too good of a day. Antonio Gibson uh, filling it out with 33 snap, 33% snaps. Nine carries, two targets. He looked good out there. And, you know, you wouldn't really have known this is a guy, you know, with fewer than 100 career rush attempts, whatever it is, to his name, but was breaking some tackles, showing off some of that yak goodness. Look, it's not his backfield right now, but knowing that they are treating him as that running back, you know, that pony style uh, guy that's going to get these targets, once J.D. McKissick is out of the picture, which I would expect to be sooner rather than later, maybe not September, but by October, I would like to think Gibson is soaking in most of those snaps, most of those targets. We're going to be looking at a guy getting 10 to 12 rushes with five plus more targets. I mean, that's not far off what Austin did last season to get all that sort of fantasy success so please do not uh, get, start getting bearish on Antonio Gibson it's going to be fine I know it didn't come this week but Antonio Gibson is going to have much better days ahead Seahawks beat the Falcons 38-25. They let Russell Wilson cook, everyone. It was fantastic. 31 for 35, 322 yards for four scores. Uh, took three sacks but no interceptions. They even chipped in 29 rushing yards. I mean, one of the crazier stats I found this offseason was Russell Wilson only had seven design rushing yards in all of 2019. Well, he ripped off a 20-plus yarder on a read option play uh, early in the game. So not saying you got to treat the guy like Lamar Jackson or even like Kyler Murray, but hey, Russ is a great athlete. Why why not let him run around even a couple times a game? But anyway, it was Metcalf and Lockett leading the way with eight targets apiece. But the interesting part of this was DJ Dallas being inactive. It helped get Chris Carson six targets, and he found the end zone twice as a receiver, six catches as a whole. Here's the thing, though. The concern that we talked about on this podcast before about Carlos Hyde maybe being that true Rashad Penny insurance clause, it came true. I mean, Carson only played 48% of the offensive snaps. Hyde was in there for 30%. Travis Homer uh, siphoned away 21%. So with better game script, I mean, I think Carson would have been at that 60% line. But for a lot of last season, Carson was at 80%. You know, he just really dominated in the workload. So. The fact that Hyde is there siphoning off the early down work, it's not good for Carson moving forward. And, you know, if this offense is going to keep cooking with Russ, okay, they're going to put up points. But, uh, you know, for this to be a game where the Seahawks won by 13, they were in control and didn't have a single running back get over eight carries. I mean, it's fantastic for Russ. It's great for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. But, I mean, just expecting this sort of consistent production from Carson – We'll see if, if it's going to become this hot hand approach thing with Carlos Hyde. Uh, you know, I wouldn't hate the idea of selling high on Chris Carson if someone's not really looking into uh, these numbers because it sure looks like the Seahawks are going to be using a committee moving forward. Uh, Matt Ryan threw for 450 yards and a pair of scores, a lot of it in garbage time. Uh, Julio Jones had a typical Julio game. I did look the stat up once where it was like most games with over 150 yards and no scores. And Julio Jones is, of course, number one. He had nine catches for 157 yards. Calvin Ridley found the end zone twice, nine grabs, 130 yards. And Russell Gage. 
trio of 100-yard receivers, nine catches for 114 yards. Each of them had 12 targets, and Hayden Hurst was kind of the odd man out with only five targets, three catches for 38 yards. Todd Gurley wasn't able to get anything gone on his five targets, just one yard. Now, Russell Gage is the interesting one because we're going to see him pop up on a bunch of uh, fab and waiver wire articles this week, and I really don't hate the signing, actually. This is an offense that is so pass-happy that they feasibly could enable three fantasy-relevant receivers. And you look at what Gage really did last season after Muhammad Sanu was traded, and he was already kind of uh, starting to do this. I mean, from week eight on, this dude was getting fed targets. And you look at games where he had nine, ten, nine again, 13 targets. And even in the poor games, I mean, he was getting between four and six every week. So, look, they're a lot more like low eight up. They're not as fantasy friendly as what Ridley and Coolio are doing. He's always going to be the number three guy in this offense. But, hey, that's the role that Austin Hooper had last season. I know tight end wide receiver is different. But either way, Matt Ryan, you know, is going to throw for enough yards to get three people consistently involved. I wouldn't feel all that comfortable starting Gage on a weekly basis, you know, with Julio and Ridley, again, expected to dominate target share more often than not. But, hey, he's one injury away from being an auto-start type guy in fantasy. Falcons clearly keep clearly think high of him, you know, letting trouble go, not signing Sanu, not doing anything in the draft. You know, we got to start looking at Russell Gage as a potential threat because the targets are going to be there. Um, at a running back situation, so Gurley looked very good early. Unfortunately, had my helicopter crash with him. So apologies to everyone out there that, uh, you know, had some had some investment on that. I know I had plenty on it myself, so not feeling great about that. He did look early, he did look good early, though. I mean, like him and David Johnson a little bit on Thursday night. I mean, they showed a little bit blast from the past. Ultimately, Gurley only played 45% of the offensive snaps. Brian Hill was at 28%. Ito Smith, 25%. Similar to Chris Carson, though. I mean, I think Gurley would be touching 60% uh, with better game script and that's about what we were expecting i mean i'm never sitting here thinking that Gurley was going to have 80 or 90 percent snaps but it seemed like you know in this potential shootout which it did become a shootout with you know 63 points going up on the scoreboard uh seemed like a good spot for him to get in the end zone a couple times and to his credit he did make it there once uh moving on got the bills beat the jets 27 17 all right, drum roll. I mean, if we got the technology, technological capability, or just imagine in your head, Josh Allen threw for over 300 yards, people. It happened. It was fantastic. Two passing touchdowns, also ran one in. We've, we've always known Josh Allen's a great fantasy QB, and I know uh, my company isn't exactly known for uh, being the biggest Josh Allen fans in the world, but you know, watching him play was as entertaining as usual, and you got to respect the guy for forcing defenses to you know cover every square inch of the field for better and for worse sometimes. But, uh, you know, all his receivers were looking good. Stephon Diggs caught eight and nine targets for 86 yards. John Brown had six catches for 70 yards and a score on 10 targets. We had Cole Beasley with seven targets, Devin Singletary with seven. Z rookie Zach Moss uh, scored a touchdown on kind of a broken play around the goal line. Look, I don't think three – I mean, I wouldn't bet on Beasley really coming through and having – a. A bunch of fancy relevant weeks, but at a minimum, maybe at, at least I did. I think I might have underestimated Smokey Brown's uh, ability to really also provide potential wide receiver two value alongside Stefan Diggs throughout the season. So, you know, a lot of the uh, issues with these wide receivers have always been tied to Josh Allen, but he's you know, proven capable of enabling these guys to big games. And, you know, I think the Buffalo Bills coaching staff and their scheme deserves a lot of credit for that as well. But however you want to put it, there's a lot of talent running around this Bills offense. And Josh Allen is slowly but surely starting to be able to uh, get these guys some big games. So uh, backfield was 
pretty much in line with I think what we were expecting. Devin Singletary, 57% snaps, nine carries, seven targets. Zach Moss, 47%, 45% snaps, nine carries, four targets. TJ Yeldon was inactive. If either of these guys get hurt, Yeldon will be back in the game. Moss did seem to be on the field much more often uh, near the goal line. The problem is, I mean, you can call him the goal line back, but Josh Allen is the team's goal line back. I mean, that's the guy that's uh, more often than not, you know, pounding it in from inside the 10-yard line. So, you know, Zach Moss, hey, if something happens to Singletary and he gets to be that lead 1A guy, he'll definitely, you know, be in that RB2 territory. But kind of the same problem with Singletary uh, over this past, you know, season in the game has just been Josh Allen really isn't a very fantasy-friendly quarterback for running backs with his unwillingness to check down and, you know, tendency to vulture away some goal line carries. So, hey, if they keep getting fed targets like this, you know, maybe uh, uh, the opinions will change, but uh, still a little bit pessimistic on either of these running backs providing too much uh, weekly fantasy goodness. Jets' offense side of the ball was not good. Sam Darnold was seeing ghosts, it looks like, for a little bit again. Uh, really bad interception thrown back across his body. Only had 215 yards on 35 pass attempts, 69 of which came on a screen to Jameson Crowder that – you know, uh, credit to him for getting to the end zone, but wasn't like the most, uh, I guess, legit touchdown I've ever seen. So Crowder, you know, hey, seven of 13 targets for 115 yards in the score. He's going to be a weekly PPR factor if he keeps getting 13 targets, which, hey, even if it's not 13, I think we can project him for eight plus confidently every week. So uh, Crowder, you know, good for him. Wide receiver two, three borderline fantasy moving forward. Uh, Chris Herndon caught six of seven targets for 37 scoreless yards. You know, not a great day, but hey, as someone that's told all of you to draft Chris Herndon for weeks, we had a, a awful matchup in week one, and Chris Herndon was number two on the team in targets, and in PPR leagues was able to provide uh, 13.7 points. I mean, that's if that's one of your worst games, that's really not that bad of a, bad of a deal. So uh, still riding high on Chris Herndon moving forward. Uh, Le'Veon Bell left early with a hamstring injury. Before that, he made a nice 30-yard catch down the sideline. It wasn't looking all that good. Uh, Frank Gore came in later, started to split some work with Josh. Adams after Le'Veon went out. So this backfield, I am not touching, uh, assuming Bell is out next week. I mean, even if he's if he's in, okay, that's even worse because now we have potential for limited snaps with three backs. So uh, would not really worry about touching too many anyone on the Jets other than Jameson Crowder and Chris Herndon. Packers beat the Vikings 43 34 Aaron Rodgers oh my goodness I mean this whole offseason I, I didn't want to really get on the Packers bandwagon because you look at the changes they made and there was nothing so how can we expect Rodgers to make this big step forward just based on him being pissed off about them drafting Jordan Love in the first round it didn't quite make sense to me but you know whatever it is this guy walked out there he threw for 364 yards and four scores could have even been bigger uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling had four catches 96 yards and a score but you know out of those two incompletions on targets to him. I believe he dropped both of them. Alan Lazard, four catches, 63 yards, and a score. So pretty much like they didn't bring anyone in, but the receivers they already had on the roster found a way to pop off at least in week one. You know, credit to them. They, they, they're really big guys that have some speed as well. So if they're finally on the same page with Rodgers, then by all means, I mean, that's just always kind of been the issue. It's Is Rodgers comfortable throwing to these guys and he certainly seems to be talking up Lazard throughout the offseason and with MVS I mean he did have one play where it was I'm not sure if he solved defensive holding or not but Rodgers literally just chucked this ball 50 yards downfield into double coverage 
to Marquez Valdez Scantling. And hey, you know, to warrant that sort of treatment, you don't see Rodgers do that every day unless it's his favorite guy. So, of course, his favorite guy remains Devontae Adams. 14 catches on 17 targets, 156 yards, pair of scores. I'm not kidding when I've been saying this, everyone. It would not be shocking if Devontae uh, has a target total. It starts with a two at the end of the season. I mean, he deserves to be the weekly wide receiver one over Michael Thomas at this point. Running back uh, committee, Aaron Jones played 53% of the offensive snaps. Jamal Williams, 43%. A.J. Dillon played just three total snaps. As Tyler Irvin at 18% snaps was actually more involved. I mean, Dillon, it's going to be tough at this rate. It's If they're going to keep Jamal Williams this involved, I mean, that's, that's a problem. Aaron Jones, the usage was very encouraging. 16 carries, six targets. He wasn't able to get much going in the receiving game, but that'll change with the player of his caliber. It's really good that they have kept this as, you know, Aaron Jones as the lead back. The concern was we would see something closer to 40-30-30, but with Dylan just pretty much being a non-factor right now, uh, I would just hope that he's going to eat more into Williams than Jones when it comes time for that. But for now... Jones locked in as an RB1. I don't think either of the other guys were getting enough touches to uh, warrant much usage. Uh, Kirk Cousins only threw 25 passes, but eight went to Adam Thielen, who went for 110 yards and two scores. Nobody else had even five targets, you know, even with uh, Justin Jefferson, you know, potentially being a solid talent while he's buried a little bit behind BC Johnson. They're getting some other guys involved. He's not going to be scratching fancy relevance. Same goes for Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith to continue to split snaps. Uh, Dalvin Cook, 12 carries, 50 yards, pair of scores on the ground you know he played 58 percent snaps madison was at 21 percent but i think we're gonna see cook back around you know 70 80 percent uh in more normal game scripts vikings let this one get away from them a little bit early there all right we had the raiders beat the panthers 34 230 Derek carr 239 yards and a score darren waller walked away with the team high eight targets uh, this is one of the few games i have not gotten a chance to uh review and watch so excuse me uh if i overhype or underhype anyone that didn't necessarily deserve it but josh jacobs had six targets everyone so i cannot wait uh to review this one henry ruggs had five Devontae brooker three just one for brian edwards unfortunately but his snaps were there so he could be a good post-hype guy uh, i'm not sure that cars could be able to enable Edwards to these really high fantasy heights this year, but he'll have better weeks uh, moving forward than this one. But yeah, I can't say enough about Josh Jacobs. I mean, he broke 10 tackles just on the ground alone. And that's only one of the five times we've seen that happen over the last two seasons. Uh, 25 carries, 93 yards on the ground, three scores, those six targets. I mean, Jalen Richard only had one target. This was great, everyone. Jacobs played 79% of the offensive snaps. Richard was at 10%. Booker, 13%. That is workhorse, three down usage. Now, the problem is it was ideal game script and a perfect matchup against the Panthers. Last season, Jacobs had a really encouraging week one in terms of snap rate two in a game that they were up on the Broncos in. We didn't see that moving forward. So, you know, it's, it's not like Jacobs is going on your bench, even if he goes back to this 50-60% role where he's not getting the targets. But, you know, the potential for him to truly turn in a potential top five season at the position, uh, it's definitely higher than it was this morning. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, 270 yards and a score on 34 attempts. Target distribution was DJ Moore at nine, Curtis Samuel at eight, Robbie Anderson at eight, and Christian McCaffrey only four targets. I do wonder if, uh, you know, we just don't see him kind of lap the field the way he did last year. Still at a 97% snap rate, still scored two rushing touchdowns, still made plenty of great plays. I mean, the guy's going to be anyone's idea of a high-end RB1 as long as he's healthy. But, you know, it's just a situation where I don't think we should necessarily expect him to flirt uh, with uh, just these record-breaking target numbers year after year after year. So uh, credit to Robbie Anderson, six catches, 115 yards and a score, 75-yard tutty, just 
filthy double move on Damon Arnett, kind of welcomed him to the league and uh, got got by him deep. And Teddy, uh, a Teddy check down, hit him in stride to get 30, uh, 35 yards downfield. So nobody else cleared 60 yards. I was a little worried about this Panthers offense early in the season, just being able to put up points due to the lack of kind of overall continuity across their entire team. But, uh, you know, being this kind of mini shootout here, 34-30, will definitely be a situation we'll need to upgrade moving forward. I, I would especially say, you know, uh, Robbie and Curtis, hey, I mean, eight targets each, that'll work. This could be a pass-happy offense. This could be a bad defense uh, all season. I think there's room for these receivers to produce. And, you know, if we want guys and uh, – Offenses. If we want complimentary receivers, it should be an offense we know we're going to have to throw the ball around. So teams like the Falcons and the Panthers, even if they're not going to probably have the most wins this season, these complimentary receivers deserve a long look on the waiver wire. Very fun game up next. Patriots 21, Dolphins 11. Cam Newton threw just 19 passes. But, hey, one touchdown. Uh, I'm sorry, two touchdowns on the ground. He was fantastic. Uh, had Oh my gosh, so many, so many great broken tackles and just overall cam goodness. It was really fun to see him, you know, go out there again, do his thing. And it'd been a long time for Cam Newton, like second play of the game, you know, him just taking that read option right up to gut, making things happen with it. Uh, you absolutely love to see it. Now, the interesting things with it was that uh, Julian Edelman actually wasn't used as a full-time receiver in this spot. And he still led the team in targets. Like, he's going to be the league guy there. But, you know, it was interesting to see Nikhil Harry and Demir Bird, the ones with the 80% snap rates, Edelman under 60%. So just a lot of, you know, two tight end, even two running back uh, formations with them trying to best utilize Cam Newton's abilities. But, uh, you know, with each of Sony Michelle, James White, and Rex Burkhead only playing 19 snaps each, a little bit of a concern there uh, moving forward if how many people Cam's going to be able to really enable in this offense other than himself. I didn't think Edelman's going to rise up and be that uh, you know true number one receiver, but I think his chances to kind of get the 150 targets he had last year, a uh, little less good than they looked like yesterday. Um, James White, yeah, n not great. I mean, to see him really not pull ahead in this type of offense where I, I thought he, he'd kind of jump up and be the number two receiver uh, more or less. It does seem like that guy is going to be Nikhil Harry. So it uh, could have been a lot more for the Patriots. Harry had a would-be touchdown, but he fumbled the ball through the end zone. I know, I know a lot of people hate this rule, but you know, as someone that used to play uh, football back in the day, on the defensive side of the ball, I would just say, hey, hold on to the ball as you go through the plane and we wouldn't have this problem. So don't blame the rule. Blame the player for not holding on to the ball. Come on, guys. Uh, on the Dolphins side of the ball, not a good game for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Three interceptions after he finished last season on a tear. Devontae Parker hurt his hamstring uh, early. He had four catches. He was looking pretty good. Not, I mean, I don't know if he was giving Gilmore the same sort of uh, trouble, but, hey, he made a couple grabs on him and was on his way to another big day. But he is a concern moving forward. It's another tough matchup next week for the Dolphins against the Bills. But week three, they get the Jaguars, and that could be a serious Fitzpatrick bounce back along with Preston Williams and Mike Jasicki. The ground game was a mess. Miles Gaskin ended up leading the way there and, uh, you know, it didn't do much. Jordan Howard scored a touchdown, but had a hysterically bad stat line where he had, I think, seven carries for eight rushing yards. But to Jordan Howard's credit, he was rocking a black visor, so I appreciate the devotion to the swag. But Matt Breida, Patrick Laird filled out this 4RB committee from hell. Do not touch these Dolphins running backs with a 10-inch pole until we have any sort of idea that someone might be seizing control. 
All right, now we have the Chargers and Bengals. So, uh, oh, real quick, okay, excuse me. For, next, we have the Jaguars and the Colts. Now, this one took me by a lot of surprise. I know a lot of people had the uh, Colts as their uh, survivor pick team, so apologies if you fell in that trap. But, yes, the Jaguars shocked the world 27-220. And, hey, Paris Campbell, Nine targets, T.Y. Hilton, nine targets, Naeem Hines, eight targets, Jonathan Taylor, six targets. I mean, Phillip Rivers just tried to, I mean, I don't think it was him. It was Frank Reich, obviously, calling the game, but Rivers really was forced to almost try to win this game, and, you know, for him to feed this many players, that many targets, it was surprising to see. I mean, I did not think Jonathan Taylor, before he got hurt, Marlon Mack were going to be that involved uh, in the passing game. I mean, I knew a running back would be involved, but it seemed like Naeem Hines. I didn't anticipate, you know, over 15 targets being devoted just to the running back room, but it does seem like now that Marlon Mack, who was carted off the field with an anchor in ankle injury, it does seem like it's going to be an issue that's going to sideline him for an extended period. I mean, we can look at Jonathan Taylor as almost a borderline RB1 as early as next week. I mean, if he he can get five, six targets per game on top of a projected 15, 20 carries in a normal week. I mean, that's going to be a problem. Now, Naeem Hines, he's going to be there. He's going to have some fantasy value of his own. I mean, look, he's not Austin Eckler as a talent, but Philip Rivers is going to throw you, you listening. If he's going to throw you eight targets per game, I mean, people are going to talk about you as a fantasy player. So I do think Naeem Hines is decent. He's shown the ability to work in the slot and out wide during his career. It was very electric when they used him in, as a punt returner uh, last season. But, uh, you know, I think he's going to be more of the game script dependent uh, RB2, RB3 type. And Jonathan Taylor, fire him up, everyone, because the, the issue uh, before just with, you know, Mac probably being the lead guy for a little bit, that's gone. So it's the Jonathan and Taylor show all his fantasy investors uh, should be hyped uh, for the Jaguars you know all the credit in the world to Gardner Minshew 19 of 20 173 yards and three scores he was sacked four times but he made a bunch of big throws and he continued to scramble and continued to look a lot like anyone's not even above average quarterback I mean Jaguars had no business winning this game and all the credit in the world for, to Minshew for getting it done didn't help us a whole lot fantasy wise I mean Keelan Cole led the way with five targets DJ Chark had just three targets uh, through touchdowns to Keelan Chark as well as Lobisca Chenault uh, who also got some wildcat snaps that was fun but ultimately none of these guys even cleared 50 receiving yards so uh, it was actually James Robinson who had 16 carries for 62 yards and one catch for 28 more. Uh, that was kind of the most productive offensive talent. So Chris Thompson, only two targets. It, inexplicably, it's the James Robinson show. You know, at first I didn't want to touch this Jacksonville backfield at all because it was okay we're getting early down committee between James Robinson, Raquel Armstead, and Davina Zigbo. But with the Zigbo on IR, Armstead dealing with COVID. It's Robinson, and he's being the league guy. We got to respect it. You know, it wasn't all that impressive of, uh, uh, you know, 90 total yards. He wasn't breaking a ton of tackles or showing this crazy burst or anything like that. But, hey, you know, if we can get 15-plus touches from anyone, there's more often than not going to be a flex spot available for their services. All right, next up, moving on to 4 o'clock games, Chargers 16, Bengals 13. Uh, apologies, everyone, on the Tyrod Taylor call you know just wasn't working out only seven rushing yards on six carries i mean you know he had double digit rushing yards in 39 of 43 games from 2015 to 2017 so not every day that happens did have 208 yards on 30 
pass attempts. I mean, had a beautiful ball down the right sideline to Mike Williams in tight coverage. Another cool play where he stiff-armed a pass rusher down before converting a third down. But a whole lot of men. It's going to be a situation where this Chargers uh, passing game, I think more times than not, just not really going to be worth uh, targeting. You know, hey, each of Hunter Henry, Keenan Allen, and Mike Williams – um, excuse me, Henry and Keenan had eight targets, Mike Williams had nine. So if, if Taylor keeps condensing it uh, that much, then great. But I do just have concerns about the overall upside of this passing game. Now, here's the thing with Austin Eckler. Some people, I've seen some people already turn this game into bad news because you only have one target. Joshua Kelly was getting some work at the goal line. But if we zoom out just for a second, I mean, Austin Eckler played 69% of the offensive snaps, career high, 19 carries, and had an effective 84 yards. I mean, look, he's going to get more than one target in the future we know he's not going to get you know the same eight to ten targets per game potential that he had with rivers but this is exactly what we were planning on a high-end rushing role with good efficiency as the lead back the 1a back in this offense so joshua kelly only played 24 percent snaps justin jackson had a quad injury and left credit to kelly he looked good too 12 carries 60 yards and a, and a score on the ground but it's still Eckler. He's going to have better games, more more games where he's more involved as a receiver. Uh, do not panic. Eckler is still in every week RB1. Um, Joe Burrow, not the best start, but hey, you know, nearly went down and won it at the end to AJ Green. Just wasn't able to get uh, the feet in bounds. And then we had a, a field goal go horrifically wrong. So that just shows you why you should never trust kickers to get anything done out there on the field. But, uh, you know, 193 yards, zero touchdowns, one pick on 36 attempts. But the reason why we've been preaching here on this podcast, Joe Burrow in 2020 was this rushing floor, and he showed it off in game one. I mean, for him to get eight carries, 46 yards, and a score, that was really promising. And, you know, I keep going back to this list of the six rookie QBs to finish as a fancy QB one since 2010. And the similarities for all of them have been starting in week one and averaging at least 25 rushing yards per game in college. Burrow checks both those boxes and we're already seeing that. So, you know, this was a tough one. I, you know, was definitely recommending not to play Burrow, but moving forward, let's get it. Everyone. I think Joe Burrow is going to be a weekly top 12 to 15 option at the position. Uh, Joe Mixon, 60% snaps had 19 carries, but just two targets. Uh, Geo was at 28% snaps and had five targets. This is how it was last year and it's how it's been. Mixon's fine. He'll be able to provide borderline RB1 value with this sort of role throughout the season. He's going to find the end zone in other games. But, it, you know, it was looking like, you know, similar to Josh Jacobs where Mixon has the receiving ability to potentially be a top five fantasy RB if they would really dive into that part of the game. Doesn't appear uh, they're going to do that. So for that reason, I think I'm going to continue to be ranking Mixon around that RB1 borderline. Uh, AJ Green coming back. Looked pretty good. Caught five of nine targets. We should have had a walk-in touchdown, but Burrow missed him uh, pretty badly. John Ross also had an almost touchdown, but to be fair, it seemed like a ball he maybe could have died for. Uh, Tyler Boyd, John Ross, CJ Izoma all had five targets. For now, I think AJ Green is the only guy we can be kind of treating as a top 30 option uh, in this offense but you know if Ross keeps getting these looks and Burrow kind of reigns in that deep ball a little bit and obviously Tyler Boyd's gonna have bigger weeks I think Burrow could be thrown enough here in future weeks to enable multiple fantasy relevant receivers the 40 year old quarterback bowl Brady and the Bucks lost the Saints 34 to 23 Brady took three sacks was under pressure a lot you know 239 yards two touchdowns two picks Hey, to his credit, I mean, he put some deep balls down the sideline to Evans and Scotty Miller that were just perfectly thrown. I mean, the arm strength is not an issue at all. Can he still move the same way in the pocket? No, but he's never been that, you know, much of a guy in the pocket. I think the bigger takeaway isn't 
Brady being washed. It's just that the Saints defense is really good. I mean, you know, the pick six was bad. He didn't get the ball out there quick enough, but it was also a hell of a play by Janoris Jenkins to jump that route and take a distance. So we're going to see better days from the Buccaneers. I think the Saints team deserves to be you know, the favorite to win the NFC as a whole. And, you know, the Buccaneers weren't able to go in there week one and get the win, but they're going to improve moving forward. Uh, Ronald Jones was the lead guy by far in his backfield. 17 carries, 66 yards, two catches, 16 yards receiving. Fournette only had five yards on his five carries. And, you know, Shady only had one target. So it's really looking like Rojo could have this potential three-down opportunity. I mean, I kind of assumed LaShawn McCoy would be more or less taking the Dari Ogunabowale uh, pass-down role, but right now it seems like that's going to be split up a little bit. So would expect Fournette to get a little more involved. But, hey, if it's just Rojo and Fournette mostly splitting the carries, that's fine. We can live with two back backfields. It's when they get to three, that's a problem. But it looks like LaShawn McCoy won't be an issue. I mean, we can kind of confidently project, I think, uh, Rojo back into that RB2 range as long as we don't start hearing, you know, during this week that Fournette's going to get much, much more involved moving forward. Uh, wide receivers just didn't quite have the targets. Chris Goblin uh, had six catches, 79 yards on seven targets. Scotty Miller, 5-73-0 on six targets. Mike Evans only catch was a two-yard touchdown. He did draw some deeper uh, defensive pass interferences, though, on his four targets. And O.J. Howard. Four catches, 36 yards in the score on six targets where Gronk only had three targets for 11 scoreless yards. Look, it's, you know, condensed. I think I've been trying to say, and I, I think a lot of uh, smart people have realized that this is not going to be the same offense that Jameis was able to kind of enable all his fantasy success with last year. I mean, he's consistently chucking it downfield and throwing interceptions and having to be in comeback mode. Brady's going to play much more, you know, winning football, not facing the same sort of game script. And this was a game where they had to throw a lot to kind of get back in it. And we still didn't see anyone even have eight targets. So there's going to be these wide receivers and tight ends are way too talented to be this quiet every week moving forward. But again, just keep your expectations in line for this offense. But maybe, you know, Brady, I should have mentioned, he did get a rushing touchdown from two yards out on a quarterback sneak, so didn't even feel the need to be at the one. Maybe he is trying to catch Cam, but not so fast in week one. Uh, Drew Brees, just 160 yards on 30 attempts. Did get two touchdowns, one to Kamara, one to Emmanuel Sanders, but just kind of the same thing we've seen with him in these playoff losses over the last few years, just not able to push the ball downfield the way they would want. And when these defenses can kind of crowd the line of scrimmage, they start to have some problems. So when they did want to throw downfield, had to dial up a little trick play, credit to Taysom Hill for hitting Kamara in stride for a nice little 38-yard pass. Kamara was the lead RB, 65% snaps over Latavius Murray, who was at 35%. Latavius racked up 15 rush attempts, though. Uh, Kamara had caught his five balls, 51 receiving yards. Uh, you know, was held to under 70 total yards, but did have the two touchdowns. So, fantasy investors are fine. Look, Latavius, he's an RB1 if Kamara misses time. And between then and good matchups, he can provide standalone value. But otherwise, you're not going to want to start this dude. All right, moving on, we got the Cardinals and the 40. I'm sorry, one more time. We got to talk about Michael Thomas real quick. Only three catches, 17 yards. Just the second time in 68 career games that Thomas didn't gain at least 20 yards. Credit to Carlton Davis on the Buccaneers for matching Thomas a lot of the way. And, you know, they really started only using him in shadow coverage towards the end of the 2019 season. But he might be a problem. We're going to have to keep an eye on him. So it was actually uh, Kamara leading the way with eight targets, Jared Cook. 
had 80 yards on seven targets. Then Michael Thomas and Manny Sanders each had five. So, again, like there's going to be far bigger days to come. I think it's fair to put Devontae Adams over Michael Thomas. I mean, we are seeing uh, what happens sometimes in a more crowded offense like this compared to when we just have the one stud who's going to get fed all the pass game opportunities he can handle. But, I mean, Michael Thomas will not be this quiet uh, for long. All right, Cardinals 24, 49ers 20. Hell of a win for Kyler Murray and company. Kyler, I mean, wasn't amazing throwing the ball 230 yards and 40 attempts, but 91 yards in a score on the ground on 13 rushes. A lot of them were scrambles, but he just looks so explosive. I mean, a couple of plays where, you know, just getting horizontal and pretty much erasing angles out there. It's crazy what this guy can do. And that's kind of been the reason why throughout this offseason I see I have saw okay the Cardinals that's a great win I mean they don't look anything like the 2019 Browns after how they won this game but those comparisons to me were never a concern about Kyler's fantasy value because he has the rushing floor we saw that today the backfield was interesting because Chase Edmonds found the end zone um, on a receiving score ended up having six carries as well three catches I mean that's solid that's uh, you know double digit opportunities when we include the targets 36% snap rate Drake was still the lead RB, though. 69% snaps, 16 carries, two receptions, you know, only 65 total yards. He did score a short goal line touchdown. And bust any big plays, but this is great usage. I mean, this is set near 70% snaps. Not many guys around the league are getting that. You know, credit to Edmonds for making the most of his touches, but this is going to be Drake's backfield moving forward. We're going to see bigger days from him. Um, wow, DeAndre Hopkins caught 14 of 16 targets for 151 yards. Huge 33-yard gain to set up the go-ahead score. Was down just inside the one. Uh, he was the only guy doing anything. I mean, Fitz and Kirk only had five targets. Worth noting that Kirk racked up a lot of air yards on his opportunities, but Hey, it's the DeAndre Hopkins show. We were concerned about if he would get this sort of high-end volume in Arizona. The answer seems to be yes. So now we have, you know, anyone's idea of a top five talent at the wide receiver position getting fed potentially double-digit targets per game. DeAndre Hopkins should not be leaving that top five anytime this season. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, 259 yards, pair of scores through the air, really spread it out. I mean, no one even cleared five targets. No one cleared 50 receiving yards. Other than Raheem Mostert had an awesome little angle route where he deked the linebacker, took it 75 yards to the house. He looks so explosive, and he ended up getting 61% of the snaps. Tevin Coleman was just at 10%. Jared McKinnon at 30%, so pretty much a 1A, 1B backfield in San Francisco with McKinnon not taking all the receiving work, so this is fantastic for Mostert. I mean, if we can get 15 carries a week on top of some newfound receiving usage, He's going to be flirting with legit RB1 value. As it stands, I think Mostert needs to be in most top 20 RB rankings entering next week. On to the final game, everybody. The Rams 20 beat the Cowboys, who only scored 17. Some controversy at the end. Michael Gallup appeared to beat Jalen Ramsey deep. You know, Jalen Ramsey, for being one of the more physically dominant quarterbacks in the league, really seemed the flail on uh, Gallup's alleged OPI push-off. Whatever was the case, they did flag Gallup, and the Cowboys had to try to convert. A fourth and 20, a couple plays later, were not able to do so. Uh, Jared Goff. Uh, gets the W, 275 yards, no touchdown, did throw a pick, had some nice throws, but I mean, it's kind of the same story of what we've seen from him. I mean, if it's a play that gives him time and there's an open receiver, it's going to be put in an accurate location more times than not. The, the issue is when we see him have to, you know, go to those uh, other reads, have to start to work off script. That's when he gets into trouble. 
credit to McVeigh for forming a game plan. We didn't have to do that today. Robert Woods was on fire early, particularly the first drive. Ended up going for over 100 receiving yards, along with a 14-yard rush. Cooper Cup not nearly as productive, only going for four catches, 40 yards on five targets. Tyler Higby, three catches, 40 yards, while we had Josh Reynolds and Van Jefferson splitting number three duties. Hey, this offense, I mean, they're not bad. We know that. Last year in the worst version, they were still 11th or 12th in scoring in the league. But, you know, whether or not both Woods and Cup can flirt with wide receiver one treatment, I don't know. I think that guy is going to be Woods for most of the year. I'm treating Cup more as a, you know, around that wide receiver 20 to 24 range. We've now got, you know, dating back to the Rams by last season. That second half season stretch and now into week one, we have seen Cup take a clear number two role behind Robert Woods, who needs to be treated as an every week wide receiver one. The backfield was very interesting. Malcolm Brown played 61% of the snaps, whereas Cam Akers was at 34%. Daryl Henderson just 6%. Brown had 18 carries for 79 yards, pair of goal line touchdowns, and also caught three passes for 31 yards. Akers had 13 carries, 49 yards, uh, one catch for four yards. So Malcolm Brown looked like the best running back out there, honestly. You know, it was just the first game for Akers. We've seen plenty of rookie running backs over the years, you know, need to get their feet wet before they can do too much. But Brown was the guy out there. And, you know, that's 61% snaps. That's in line with what we've seen from McVay throughout, you know, his entire Rams tenure. Whoever the league guy is, is usually flirting with 60% snaps. 15 or more touches. So, yeah, it's obvious Cam Akers is uh, very involved. And Henderson, as he gets healthier from the hamstring, you would think he'll get a little more involved. But, hey, if Browns can keep being this effective and in a situation where it really does seem like they want to get him on the field more times than not when they are around the goal line, uh, he's going to be flirting with, you know, kind of weekly RB2, RB3 value. I don't think he's going to run away with this thing and be the same sort of threat that Gurley was. But this offense is going to put up points, and Brown could be the guy to score a lot of him if he keeps getting this sort of usage. So I wouldn't blow 50% of your fab on him. I, I see this being kind of a fluid week-to-week situation. But, you know, if you're in just a waiver wire uh, league and you have just the number one waiver, yeah, using on Malcolm Brown, that makes sense because anytime we can get 15-plus touches in this sort of offense, that's good for fantasy business. Dak Prescott, 266 yards on 39 attempts, added 30 yards on the ground, David would have been bigger if not for the Gallup OPI. Um, credit to Barstool Big Cat for this idea about Dak, but I like what he said one time about it, where Dak, you, re- you rarely leave Cowboys games thinking, okay, like Dak lost that game. It doesn't happen. But you do leave a lot of these games going, man, I really wish Dak could have done more to, you know, go ahead and seize that game, go out and win it. So, you know, he made some great plays. I still think Dak's a great quarterback, and he, he, he fully deserves to be paid uh, as such by the Cowboys. But, you know, 6.8 yards per attempt. He didn't have a bunch of time. I mean, the Cowboys offensive line was all sorts of banged up. And it wasn't like guys were just running wide open downfield and he was missing them. But, you know, at the end of the day, a win is a win is a win. Cowboys weren't able to come away with it. Uh, Mari Cooper, monstrous, 14 targets, just 10 catches for 81 yards. Uh, wasn't able to break off anything big. But, you know, he is the undisputed number one wide receiver in this offense. Don't forget it. CeeDee Lamb, five catches, 59 yards. On six targets, looks very swaggy in that 88. Uh, you know, looks a little slim at this point, but perfectly capable of putting together some solid fantasy performances. I think him and Gallup uh, should kind of be treated almost similarly at this point. I know we still kind of maintain that gap between them, but 
right now, I mean, with CD getting six targets, Gallup getting five, they're pretty much being treated as uh, kind of like consensus number two options behind Cooper. And even if I wouldn't be shocked if Cooper doesn't have that big of a stranglehold on the one spot on a week to week basis. So all these guys would be able to produce. And, you know, if it wasn't for that OPI on Gallup, all three of them would have produced in week one. Um, it was good to see Zeke Elliott really get a nice pass game roll, three catches, 31 yards. And a score on four targets, uh, 87% snaps. I mean, just the usual uh, bell cow uses for Zeke. He looked really elusive out there, though. And I'm not saying he hasn't over the past uh, few years, but he looked more like that kind of 2016 rookie running back, just really making guys miss and uh, some elusive news, uh, moves, especially on that touchdown reception where he cut it back into the middle. So that's going to do it, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this recap. Uh, you know, first one of these we've done this year. I want to do these uh quick recap pods after Sunday, Monday, and Thursday night football. Just go through, you know, the usage, get on with it because it's, hey, we got to go through this and evaluate and then move on, uh, change our opinions for the better, and uh, hopefully be, you know, more winning fantasy investors next time around. So thank you all for listening. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Ian Hardis, and until next time, take care, everyone.